Let's get to the Word of God. I hope you guys are ready. Today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about why Jesus left. It's an important part because this week we, we celebrated Ascension Day, and, and today I want, to, I want to make a little bit of sense of out of it, if you, if you don't mind. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So 1, 1, 1, 1. All right. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to be in your presence, to be your family, to meet together as a church, to, to enjoy the company of each other and of your Holy Spirit. And I'll pray, God, that today we won't just be hearers of this word, but it will change us so that we might become doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is an incredible story, and whenever I read it, I can't help but wonder how I would have responded in that situation, right? I mean, so, so we read this, and, and praise God, we have the Bible. If you've never said thank you for the Bible, start. Because we get to know the end before we have to endure the beginning. Isn't that good? I wish life was like that. You know, if you, if you anyway, let's not get into that. But uh, we know what's coming. But I can't help but think, what would I have felt if I was in that moment? Imagine now you've spent years of your life. You gave up everything. You gave up your job, your profession, your expertise. You just gave it up and you started following Jesus. And for years, he was just teaching you and you saw all these incredible things happen. And then after that, you had to endure watching him suffer and die on a cross. I mean, this must have been the worst moment of their entire lives. I mean, we read it here. They were still expecting Jesus to restore the kingdom unto Israel. And then they watch him die. So obviously they, uh, they didn't deal with that very well and they, they pretty much all ran away from him. Um, but then he rose again. And, and for 40 days, he just, man, he revealed himself to them again and again and they saw him again. And this must have been, imagine the crushing blow of his death and then the excitement of his resurrection. And I wonder if it felt like the good old days for a moment in time, for a month, the good old days. 
of walking with Jesus and his teaching about the kingdom. That's what it says. He was continually teaching them about the kingdom of God. And it's just download upon download. And I wonder if they just thought, oh man, this is going to be it. This is, this is going to be the time. So, so they're probably talking amongst each other and thinking, oh, you know, I think this is it. I think this is now the time when Israel is going to get back the kingdom. I think this might be the time when Jesus ascends to the physical throne. And they ask him, okay, is it is it? it? Is this it? Is this what we were waiting, waiting for? And he's like, no, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Next moment, he goes. Next moment, like in one moment, they went from the anticipation and excitement of restoring the kingdom to Israel to Jesus just floating up into the sky. That must be a crushing blow. I'll be honest. Because their expectation here was something different from what they saw. But my question is, what was their response? Because I think I might have been incredibly confused. I think I might have looked at this thing and went, um, what, what just happened? But yet we know their response because Luke, the same guy who wrote Acts, he records this in Luke chapter 24, verses 52 and 53. He says, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Their resp response to this whole situation was praise and worship. And I think the secret to the response is in knowing why he left. Is in understanding why Jesus left. And that's what I want to just look at. Three important reasons why Jesus left. Three very important reasons. By the way, the first one has three subpoints, so don't get confused about that. But the first point, the first reason why Jesus left is because his ministry now has a different setting. This is very important to understand. Jesus' ministry is not finished. It merely has a different setting. Jesus' ministry didn't all of a sudden now, well, no, he's taking a 2,000-year sabbatical, you know, after the three years of work. Not a chance. He has a different ministry. And one of the three things he's busy with at the moment is he is the ruler sitting at the right hand of God. Acts 2, verse 34, 36 says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He actively rules and reigns from the right hand of the Father. This is fantastic news. This is fantastic news because, listen to me here, Jesus' heavenly throne is not subject to what is happening on earth. Jesus' heavenly throne is not threatened by the situations we face on earth. We have a Lord and a Messiah who reigns from a throne that is unshakable. But not just is he ruling, but he's ruling over his church. He's actively building his church. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And that's beautiful because he is actively forming, leading, gifting, empowering, shaping, equipping his church. That's you and me. He's actively, actively busy doing this. Now, this for me is, is incredible news because when we realize that the kingdom of God and Christ our Lord transcends our natural world, it should give us hope. 
Now, when I say transcend, I choose that word carefully, and I know it's a big word, because sometimes we can think about, listen, look at my situations, but, but I don't believe Christians should deny the natural world, but we should recognize that His throne transcends it. It goes beyond it. It is over it. It is an unshakable reality in a shaking world. It is a firm foundation in a foundationless world. When everything is going crazy amongst us, we as Christians get to boast in our salvation in Jesus Christ because He rules from an unshakable throne. The second thing He's busy doing is He's interceding for all believers and advocating on their behalf. Hebrews 7, 24 to 26 says, But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. As high priest, Christ represents us before God. Continually praying for us interceding for us, standing in the gap. And why this is so powerful is because Jesus is both man and God. So He understands what you and I go through. He understands and knows what it means to have weakness, to have temptation. Hebrews 4, verse 15 to 16, For we do not have an high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus knows what it is to be hungry, to be lacking, Jesus knows what it is to mourn, to suffer. If you don't believe that, he actually fasted for 40 days. Y'all do that? I haven't. He knows what it is to be in pain. He knows what it is to suffer loss, disappointment. I mean, if you imagine for a moment, I can't think, even though he knew, he knew what was going to happen. I can't for a moment think that it wasn't disappointing to him when one of the 12 that was closest to him gave him up. Can you imagine the disappointment when Judas went and said, let's, let's make a deal. See, Jesus understands what it is we're going through and thus, and thus he makes the most incredible intercessor for us. But I said he doesn't just intercede, he also advocates on what a good legal representation, you know, the creator of the universe. You know, that's good legal representation. In Romans 8, 33 and 34, it says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God has given, sorry, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. See, everything is being filtered through the cross because we believe in him. See, every time the enemy comes and accuses us, Jesus advocates for us. 
Every time an accusation is raised, every time the enemy says, but look, look what Hein is doing, or look what Hein has done. Remember when Hein did this. Look, Hein is doing this again. Jesus is saying, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. And this is the most incredible thing. And, and there's a lot of scripture because I want to I support what I'm saying in 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. Jesus is actively advocating on our behalf. See, all of a sudden, if I just look at, at these first two reasons, part of thinking about how he has a ministry in a different setting, I'm kind of glad he left. Because now we have an advocate with the Father. Now we have someone interceding for us. Even if you guys forget to pray for me, hey, Jesus is. Amen. Even if I forget to pray for you, well, I know Jesus is, so that's fantastic. But a third reason, and this is a good reason, in John 14, 1 to 3, we see yet another important thing he's busy doing. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. His present ministry in heaven is to prepare a place for me and you to go to. And I absolutely love that. Revelation 12, 21, it's not going to be on the screen. 21 verse 2 describes this place as Christ has prepared for believers when it says, I, uh, sorry, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. This gives us incredible, incredible hope. Because one day we will not just receive perfect bodies, but we will receive a perfect setting, a perfect home. Because Jesus is actively preparing a place. I don't know what that means exactly. I'll be honest. Maybe it's na putting name tags on doors. I don't know if I get to pick my neighbors. But if I don't, that's okay. I trust Jesus. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means. But I know that He has you in mind. He has you in mind right now preparing a place where you can spend eternity with Him. Isn't that a beautiful promise? So the first reason why Jesus had to leave is because He has a continuing ministry elsewhere. The second reason was pretty simply, He was done with what He came to do. His job on earth was finished. It was done. Now there's a lot more that He could do but the main purpose for which he came wasn't to better the specific circumstances of human beings in a specific time. And I would venture to say, and, and I, I ask for a little bit of grace and not to attack me here, but his main purpose for coming was not to heal the sick. Otherwise, he would never be able to leave because his job would never be done until he comes again. But for that, he would have to leave. So we're, we're moving in circles here. His purpose for coming was to redeem mankind, to preach the kingdom of God, and to set that very kingdom in motion through His church. He came to start something. 
And when he finished with that, he could leave. After three years of intensive teaching and discipling and, and eventually dying on a cross, being raised again, the main purpose for what he was here was finished. And he could go. Death was defeated. Sin was dealt with. The church was started. So he could continue his ministry elsewhere. The third reason, see that's a short point, the third and final reason why he had to leave so that what he started could get going. Jesus had to leave so that what he started could get moving. And this is an interesting point. And I know, I mean, I've, I've thought of it often. How nice would it have been if he never left? I get that. But what's the purpose of being taught something if you never get to practice it? I mean, imagine your dad takes you, and I'm going to use a dad and a son analogy, but obviously there's many I could, and maybe your dad takes you and he takes out the power drill, and he's like, okay, boy, today, there's going to come a time. At the moment, I just give my kid dangerous tools and I leave, so I don't know about that, but, but he's fine. Um, but, but one day, I'm going to take out the power tools out of the cupboard. I'm going to say, okay, boy, come, it's time. And I'm going to take the drill, and I might, you know, teach him about safety and watch out for your fingers and all that, you know, and I'll teach him that these things could be dangerous. Uh, maybe teach him how to use the table saw uh, and say, listen, okay, remember, fingers go there, they're missing, they're done. Okay, so watch out for that. And maybe I'll take the first plank, and I'll maybe push it through, and I'll say, okay, so you push it like this. And I'll take the second one, and okay, this is how you cut it. Now, put off the machine, push it back into the cupboard, and leave. What was the purpose of teaching him anything if he don't get to practice it? See, if Jesus never left, he would have never left us our inheritance. He would have never left us the ministry of the kingdom of God. He showed us, and then he said, now go. If he, if he didn't leave... I mean, we would never be able to put into practice what it is He taught us to do. And it's like for a moment, imagine, I know there's a lot of teachers here. Praise God for teachers. But teaching is such an interesting job because your job is never technically done. Because if it was done, you'd never have a job. Because as a teacher, your purpose is to make someone independent from you from your knowledge, from your abilities. I mean, the whole, it's only when you become unnecessary that your job is done. Isn't that, isn't that a weird thought? But see, Jesus taught and, and he explained and he showed and he said, okay, guys, this is the kingdom. Now go. Now go. So if Jesus didn't leave, he would have never left us something. And what I love about Acts chapter 1, I love how, how Luke introduces this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus is the person he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. But, but I want to focus on all that he began. All that he began. See, it wasn't finished. The job's not done. The job's not done. What is finished is our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now the work is starting. And this is an incredible thought because what actually happened through His ascension into heaven is He deployed us here on earth. He deployed us for the purpose of the kingdom of God. 
He deployed us for the purpose of telling people about this glorious gospel we have. He had to kick us out of the nest. See, as long as there's someone else that's willing to do it, you never have to do it yourself. It's like, no, I don't have to show up. Someone else will do it. Someone will stand in for me, you know, that, that kind of thing. But he's like, I'm going to kick you out the nest now. And I think that is such an incredible privilege because what Jesus did is he looked at his disciples. He foreknew his future church and he said, I trust them enough that I can go. Let me rephrase that for you this morning. Jesus looked at each and every one of us, each and every one of you. And he says, I trust you enough that I can go. You've got this. See, what the ascension meant for him is to continue his ministry. What it means for us is to start ours. It's to move out there in a world that needs Jesus so desperately, so deeply. And he, Jesus said, I trust you enough. The ascension left something with me and you. The responsibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It left to us the role of, of showing people who Jesus is. That's why we model Jesus' ministry in everything, or we try to in everything we do. Because the world needs Him. The world needs Him. There's only one way to the Father. And it's not acting right in one or two situations. It's not casting out the right demons. It's not having the right terminology, phrasing, or titles. The only way to the Father is through the Son. And it is that message that's been entrusted to us that there is salvation, there is good news, there is hope, there is a Jesus who loves each and every person out there and who wants to be reunited with them. And this is the ministry that He left us. He said, go now and preach the gospel everywhere you go. Because you will be equipped, come back next week for that, by the way, to preach the gospel far and wide, to be witnesses of Christ everywhere we might go. So maybe that's why the disciples worshipped and praised God after Jesus left. Because they understood something. They understood Jesus has a ministry elsewhere. They understood Jesus' work here was done. And they understood our work is now starting. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that, that we have not been abandoned. We have been deployed. We have not been abandoned. We've been entrusted. And I thank you, Jesus, that, that you looked upon your church, not upon a structure, not upon a position, not upon a title. You looked at your body and every single part that makes up that body, and you said, I trust them enough to leave. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us and strengthen us so that we might carry the good news of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And I pray, Lord, that the first place where we would have significant influence would be in our homes. I pray for mothers and fathers, for grandparents to be influencers of righteousness for the kingdom of God in our homes. I pray, Lord, that we would be influencers of righteousness in our friend groups, that they would be better off because we're in it, that they would know you through us. 
I pray that we would be influencers of your, of your kingdom in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we might go, Lord Jesus. I just pray that we might influence this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the kingdom might be established through our work. And I pray this morning, God, that you would remind each and every one of us that we have a role to play, that we have been chosen, been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for building the kingdom wherever we might go. I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us to do what it is you've called us to do. I pray, Lord, that, that we would get excited as the disciples did because we understand, Jesus, that you are preparing a place for us, that you're interceding for us, advocating on our behalf. And we would understand that your work here was done and that we would understand we are now starting. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing call. Strengthen us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.